Welcome back to She Is Becoming. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can find our recent episodes on deconstruction, sex, gender, and feminism on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And make sure that you are following us on Instagram at She Is Becoming Podcast for extra resources and extra fun. I am your co-host Delaney, and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. Hello, Delaney. It's good to see you. And we actually have a tiny little guest with us today. I'm just going to say because I feel like he's going to interrupt us at some point. Jax <laughs> right. is here. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, we're talking a lot about uh, raising a family, so I think it's perfect, actually. Works out. It well, would be more natural if we, he would a few times. There we go. Makes sense. <laughs> right. Well, can I introduce our special guest today, Hillary? is with us today, and um, she is a very special person, and I have recently read her book. Her name is Hillary uh, Ferrer, and she is the founder and CEO of Mama Bear Apologetics, a ministry that provides apologetic resources to busy moms. Known for her co-authoring and editing of the book Mama Bear Apologetics and a variety of resources on the Mama Bear Apologetics website, including more books, blogs, podcasts, and other resources. Good to know. Hillary loves helping moms to discern both truths and lies in science and culture, and she also specializes in understanding the root causes of doubt. We are thrilled to have you here today, Hillary, and our audience is a multi-generational. We have young moms, old moms, me, single women, grandmas, and more that listen. And we know that your message and the ministry of Mama Bear Apologetics will impact all of us today. Hillary, welcome to the program, and welcome. we would like to ask you our signature question. And that would okay. Go ahead, Delaney. You want to ask her the signature question? Okay, this is our signature question. It's a hard one. We didn't prep you for this. So, what characteristic <laughs> of God has been impacting you most recently, and why? Hmm. Well, I'm just going to go with the first thing that popped in my head, and I'm pretty sure I, I can explain it. But that's faithfulness. Uh, so, for the people who don't know, um, I have a lot of health problems. At the beginning of the year, I had major, major surgery last year. Uh, at the beginning of this year, I was starting to wonder if I was going to be able to to travel and speak and do the things that I'd done before. And so the Lord just kind of said, test me. Mm. And so I, I did uh, the, the first one of the year. And uh, the day I was supposed to speak, I woke up at 3 a.m., uh, basically having run, run to and from the bathroom over and over and over again because my surgery was all on my intestines. Everything's all messed up there. And I just felt so sick. And I thought, well, maybe this is my answer. Well, by the time I got to the event. Once the event started, once I was up there and I was speaking, I felt amazing. I felt the Lord move. I felt the Lord just um, uh, speaking through me. And then afterwards, I crashed and felt sick again. And so I felt like the Lord said, basically, I may not give you the energy before and I may not give you the energy after, but I will give you the energy in the midst of what I have asked you to do. And in that sense, he has been so faithful with um Basically, I can gauge, has the Lord called me to do this? And I can sometimes tell just by, do I have the energy to do this? Mm. And uh, he's, he's guiding and directing me in that way. And he's teaching me how to take, uh, to be a good steward of my body uh, by listening to it and not trying to push it. So I would say God's faithfulness would be the one that I'm really um, 
really um, experiencing lately. No, thank you for sharing that. It goes back to that God provides our daily bread. He provides what we need Mm. for that day to get through that moment. And um, Bev is a speaker and uh, my dad is a pastor. And so I have lived through times where my dad has had like pneumonia and he can get up and speak. He'll preach that sermon, whether he's sweating, like looking (laughs) crazy, but he'll do it because the Holy Spirit carries him. And then afterwards he's like, I'm dead. Yeah, I know. Then he's like, okay, take me back to the emergency room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Well, Hillary, we do so appreciate your ministry and especially to families and you are a bright light and this book has been all around Grace Church. Oh, let me tell you. There were groups last summer reading it. It's, It's been such a help to so many and I've recommended it so many. But I'd like to start out before we start in with some really wonderful questions for you to help the audience learn a little bit more about your book and about your ministry. Um, I would just like to share a little thought that I read the other day that I think fits in nicely with where we're going with today's podcast. There were four clergymen who were discussing the merits of various translations of the Bible. One liked King James, the other liked another one liked American Standard, another one liked the original Hebrew, still another one liked Moffat's translation because of its up-to-date vocabulary. But then the fourth minister was silent, and when asked his opinion, he said, I like my mother's translation best. The other three were surprised. They didn't know that his mother had translated the Bible, but he assured them she translated it into life every day of her life. And it was the most convincing translation I ever saw. That is beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? And that's where we're going today, isn't it? Yeah, the hand that rocks the cradle. Yep, yep. Mama bears, not Papa Bears, but this is Mama Bear Apologetics, Mm -hmm. and we obviously know it translates into Papa's as well, but thought that would be a Mm -hmm. fun way to start out the questions. Um, So let's just start with our first question that we have here. Delaney, you want to ask? Yeah. Can you just tell us, like, why did you write this book? What was your heart behind it? What what do you hope um, would be the impact of Mama Bear Apologetics? Yeah, so like I, I started the ministry mainly because I heard, I heard something from a friend of mine, and it's like the Lord changed my heart in an instant. And that's it. She said there was a, a really large demographic out there of women who wouldn't read something unless it was by women for women. Mm. And of course, my thoughts were first, oh my gosh, who is teaching them apologetics? And then my second thought was, what about the moms? Because um, I know that moms get the questions first. Dads become more important with questions. Uh, maybe sometime in the teen years and maybe when you start going that like political or, you know, things like that, kids will go to dad. But for the majority of the time, it doesn't matter what it is. Kids will go to moms first. And so the moms are our first line of defense when it comes to apologetics training, when it comes to theology, when it comes to helping little, little, um, little ones to understand what the Bible says, what, what we believe and why we believe it. And so the actual book came later when I was approached by Harvest House and um, they kind of didn't have a real big idea of what they wanted. Uh, they just knew that they wanted a mama bear apologetics book. And so I kind of said, I, I want to make sure that I write something that isn't currently out there. Uh, Cause a friend of mine, Natasha Crane has done an amazing series of books about talking to your kids about God and about Jesus and, and uh, just, answering a lot of the questions and so I thought it'd be really interesting if I just listed out all those questions that she had and I started categorizing them into 
what worldview is at play that is actually causing these questions? Because these questions don't come out of nowhere. Mm. They come out of someone imbibing a worldview that they didn't realize is anti-biblical. And so from that, we, um, I, I kind of got a whole bunch of different major worldviews and then said, uh, I don't want to do this book by myself. So I just called some of the ladies who'd been involved with me and I said, let's do this book together because we, we're all in this together. Um, so we kind of divvied up the chapters and I oversaw a lot of it, did a lot of the editing, made sure that we were uh, staying cohesive and that the voice was the same. Um, sometimes having a co-author on some of them, if it wasn't quite there, but I think it was very much a team, a team effort. And, uh, we came out with something that I think was, I mean, in hindsight, I don't think we knew we were coming out with something groundbreaking and new, but based on the, the reception, um, of this book it is it is just um, kind of I call it the gateway for apologetics for a lot of people people who've normally stayed away from apologetics after they read mama bear apologetics they say "Ooh, what else is out there so in all the things that I prayed over this book really um, had the Lord has been faithful with that and so but that's that's how we decided uh, what to do and how to do it and just kind of digging deeper than just giving a question and say like how do we till this soil so that the seed that's planted there will grow and will grow in a healthy way. Uh, define for us apologetics, in case some of our listeners are not real sure exactly what you mean by that, and why apologetics in a book about raising our families and worldviews. Yeah, so apologetics, and everybody first jumps to the word apologize. Why are we apologizing? For <laughs> yeah, true. That's good. Uh, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. So the Greek word apologia meant to give a defense. And so uh, early, like, you know, first and third century lawyers were called apologists. And I would like to say that um, uh, we're all apologists for something in the sense that we're giving a defense for why we think, think something is true. Uh, I like to joke, joke, not joke about how my mom is an apologist for the Instapot. You cannot talk to her for more than five minutes without her bringing it around to the Instapot and telling her, telling you basically why it's the greatest, you know, invention of all time. Um, my mom has gone out and when I brought friends home and she'll, of course, inevitably start talking about the Instapot. If they don't have one, she will buy one and send it to them. <laughs> That's such a great so illustration. I, <laughs> yeah, it's like we talk about things that we think are true. We defend things that we think are true and uh, um, think are good and are beautiful and are useful and are wonderful. And you see guys do this with their favorite sports teams or some, some other people with their favorite bands. Um, the women with their favorite, um, uh, you know, recipes. So why aren't we seeing people do this with what the Bible says? Right. And I think kind of behind that is people think that it's just a belief. Mm -hmm. They don't think this is true. It's not history. It's not, it's, it's not based in fact. It's, it's, um, something we're kind of crossing our fingers and hoping is going to pan out one day, but we are not fully convinced in our own minds. Oh, that makes so much sense. Thank you for bringing that up. And I'm like, I love to what you were saying about how and why you decided to write this for moms, because if you think about our biblical womanhood, that makes sense that we are the influencer in a unique way that men aren't. And so I'm, man, you just like knit the, hit the nail. Is it knit the hail? Hit. Oh, hit the you hit, you hit the nail on the head with that. So thank you for bringing that up. And I think sometimes we think if we study apologetics that we're not having enough faith or our belief isn't strong enough. And so 
So I like that you're bringing up that the truths of God's word are defensible. Like they have fact. There's a there's a um, a logic behind them. There's a reason, and it's something we can defend. Um, next, can I say something to what you just said, which was uh, yeah. a, I think a big misnomer. Yeah, where people think that apologetics actually decreases your faith. I would say that according to the definition of faith from Hebrews, uh, I think it's, uh, is it Hebrews 11, one where it says faith yeah. is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Anything that makes us more sure and more certain increases our faith. It doesn't take away from our faith. Mm-hmm. It'd be like saying, um, how much faith do you have in your accountant? Well, the more and the longer you work with him, the more you see the evidence of uh, his or her just, you know, excellent, the more faith you put in them. Same thing with a babysitter. Same thing with your kids. The more faith you can put in them when you see them consistently coming through and being responsible, evidence increases faith. It is not contrary to faith. Mm, That's that's huge. I'm going to have to quote you on that because that's that's fire. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say, um, switching gears here a little bit about this, I was just wondering, how can we help our children discern between the truth of God's word that has tons of evidence to back it up and the cultural lies? Like, how do we help them discern that? Um, this is a kind of a hard one. And I, for those who've read the book, they know the Roar method. Um, I would say employing the Roar method, but I would be clear with our kids that the battle is not always about good and evil or truth and false. It's uh, in these days, it's more about, true and almost true Hmm. or something that sounds true versus something that is true. And so like a lot of times the cultural lies are kind of writing on the back of what, you know, it says that the, um, the, the law of God is written on our hearts. It kind of rides on the back of that and it phrases itself in terms of God's law, in terms of righteousness, but it's, it's importing something extra into it. And if we look at this is exactly how Satan has worked Mm -hmm. from the very beginning. You look uh, like every time you see Satan in person having a debate with someone, you know, he's always using words of God. Scripture. Yes. He's always doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's twisting it. He's just adding slightly to it. Uh, He's using it out of context. You know, we see that uh, with when he's with Jesus in the wilderness and then, in the garden, we see him just adding little things to it or, you know, uh, just bring it up oh, um, other possible motives. So it's these two things that sound like almost the same thing. One of them is absolutely true. And one of them is almost true. And I think our kids, you know, we, we love the movies like the Star Wars and, you know, all, all these other things that have, you know, the, the Marvel movies that have these clear good guys and these clear bad guys. But teaching our kids that, uh, that, we're not looking for clear good and bad that sometimes we can have that, but more often than not, the things that are going to trip us up is the true and almost true. Yeah. Very deceptive. Yeah. Because we, it is like we prepare, it's like we prepare our kids for the obvious things, but we don't Mm -hmm. prepare them for the sneaky things always. Yeah. And I'm like, when I go on Instagram and TikTok, if my kid's not prepared, then that's going to sneak in in an instant like these tiktokers and these people who are hopping on and doing like 30 second 60 second clips about um you know gender or sexuality or science or the bible they sound Mm -hmm. so persuasive and they're so winsome and charismatic that you would believe them if you didn't have that foundation so thank you for shedding light on that 
Uh, can you give us an example of bringing God's wisdom into like our everyday life of a child, between a child and a parent? And so something that happens, you know, while they're having breakfast or when they just walk in the door from school or they he- overhear their kids talking to the, another child, these everyday instances, how do we bring God's wisdom into that? And um, not just leave it for yeah. church or Sunday school. Right, right, that the church will address that, or I, I'm just going to trust, you know, someone else to, to s- take care of that. Or, or I maybe I don't have the right to form my children's opinions like that. Yeah. I've heard that, too, mm-hmm. where parents are very mm-hmm. weak because they, don't, they want their ch- child to decide right and wrong. Uh, yeah, then that's always worked out well, right? Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Disaster. So I, I would say that one of my favorite places to find a whole bunch of really nice sounding lies are craft fairs. <laughs> oh, the unsuspecting <laughs> like the, craft fair. The <laughs> unsuspecting craft awesome. fair. <laughs> um, you will see more follow your heart and, you know, uh, love is love and just be kind. It costs nothing to be kind. I'm like, really? It costs nothing to be kind? Like, mm-hmm. are we doing it the same way? Sometimes I have to really control myself when something makes me angry to make me kind. And that's costing me energy right there. It's not like it's. So if, if, if it costs you nothing to do something, I don't think you're doing it right. But they just have all these little sayings that sound so great or verses that are used out of context. Mm-hmm. Um, that It's one of those things where I, well, we'll say that the one like follow your heart, it's always good to infuse humor to show how something's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just follow your heart. My husband and I like to do like when we're going out on a trip every now and then he'll be like, wait, which way, which way are we supposed to go? And I'm like, just follow your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it's like, you know, well, we, of course we can't get to where we're going if we're just going to follow our heart. So you just kind of bring it out. Well, what if my heart tells me to go, you know, give that person who I don't know a big wedgie, what, you know, should I follow my heart? No, you should not follow your heart. Um, what about my, you know, coworker who is now, you know, in almost 50 and has a tattoo of a Tasmanian devil on his calf. He followed his heart at some point in college and I bet you he regrets it now. Uh, the numbers of examples of times when it's a bad idea to follow your heart are just not, they're, they're never ending. So I think just looking at slogans and things that are supposed to like kind of capture us and people are like, yeah, that's so good. And finding out, hey, is that actually true? It sounds good. But is that actually true? And so it teaches them to be looking around um, where they're going. And also, I think just watching your kids programming with them. There are so many things that they slip into kids programming now. And we have this beautiful thing that we didn't have when I was growing up, which is you can pause live TV um, Mm -hmm. and have conversations about things. And in fact, uh, Amy's done some research, um, I think, where she found that they measured the differences between the life decisions. I think it might have been specifically with teenage girls, between parents who sheltered them from everything versus parents who talked through everything. And without fail, it was the girls whose uh, moms had talked through everything, basically allowing them to be exposed to some of the really not great stuff, but then talking through it. Was this a good decision? Was this a bad decision? What was this character thinking? What were the consequences? Did the show show the consequences? What do you think the real life consequences would have been? Those were the, the were the girls who actually made better life decisions than the ones who were just sheltered from everything. You know, so, this, is, this uh, is so important that that parents beware of those opportunities that we really have mm-hmm. to instruct them in the truth and to help them to see those half truths that are hanging out there that lead to really 
awful things in the long run. Yeah. The and, wrong things. Well, and what you were saying about the, it's this, the focus on you, like even the other day, Jax and I listen to like Frozen in the car and like Moana and we <laughs> like to sing along and we do pause actually, but um, we almost like, it sounds like society is almost creating this like uh, making yourself seem like your own hero. Like yeah. the answer to everything is always within yourself. Um, if something's wrong, it's cause you're not living in your authentic self. Um, mm -hmm. it's that whole language of you, you are enough. Um, you can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you go about having that conversation with your kid of like, yes, it is important to live authentically, like as God created you, but how do you have that mm -hmm. conversation? Cause it can be kind of tricky and nuanced a little bit. Yeah, and this is also where the ROAR method comes in. So ROAR stands for recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and then reinforce through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. So a lot of times, like we said, the best lies are wrapped in partial truths. So what you're doing in the ROAR method is, first off, you're saying, okay, without looking at truth, without looking at lies, what's the actual message that they're trying to convey here? And the actual message might be living your authentic self. So now we're going to offer discernment. What are some good things about living your authentic self? You know what? God made some of us a little bit weird. And I, I fully identify. I've kind of got that, that weirdo flag. I was always sort of a little bit of a people didn't know what to do with me back Same. when I was in high school. probably. Yeah. <laughs> and so there are parts of kind of being a weirdo that, you know, if I were to tell myself, you know, my, my, my younger self, though, if I could go back and tell her anything, I would say, the things that make people reject you now are going to be the things that make you excellent at what you do in the future. Oh, um, such a good word. Such a good word. <laughs> yeah, because no one wanted to analyze things to the depth that I wanted to. It was just like, oh, my gosh, will you please stop talking? I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not taking your class. Don't want to hear your lecture. Um, just because I want It's like I was so interested in life. I was interested in the idea of truth and lies and uh, you know, ideas having consequences and, you know, eventually people just like, just don't want to hang out with that when you're in middle school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like they might come to you one-on-one because -on -one they think it's interesting one-on-one, -on -one, but when it's in a group, no. no. Um, so uh, what are we saying? Um, well, that wouldn't be cool, you know, at that age. But and when you're 22, mm -hmm. I would need you to be my friend because I will yeah. wonder about that. Sure, sure. Privately, yeah. again, privately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember what I was saying. Yeah. So how do we teach them to tell them? So we need to recognize the message. And when we offer discernment, we look at what's good. So we take the message that has been given. What are the times when it's good to live your authentic self? Okay, when God is giving you specific skills and abilities. We have a girl down the street that I absolutely adore, who is obsessed with praying mantises. She like captures them and puts them in this basket and they grow eggs and they hatch and she releases them every year. And she's like eight years old. She's obsessed with it. That's living her authentic self. She's not pretending to not like bugs because you know what? That's a God-given interest. There's all these things that we can affirm yes. about the idea of living your authentic self. So we're going to say live your authentic self isn't always bad. It's got a lot of truth. Let's identify the truth first. Now let's go into in, in offering discernment. What we're doing is we're separating the true from the not true. We're separating the good from the bad, accepting the truth, accepting the good, rejecting the bad. And so, okay, what are some ways that living your authentic self is not good? Well, if you're just feeling really selfish and you don't want to share, that's not a time to live your authentic self. Yes, that's how you absolutely authentically feel, but that is not a good time to live your authentic self. What are some other examples? 
of times that it's not good to live your authentic self, kind of showing them how it can have a good connotation. But if it's going against God's word, then that's bad advice. And Mm -hmm. so people try to make it as blanket advice and just remembering not everything can be blanket advice. It's sometimes true, sometimes not. How do we distinguish the times when it's true and when it's not? And uh, uh, I, I think I think most kids are capable of doing this if they just stop and think about it. It's getting them in the habit of stopping and thinking about things. That right there will prevent so many problems in the future yeah. if they are always trained to stop and think about things. Think critically. And, and that's a skill that, that we have to instill in the younger generation. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. You know, your book warns a lot about many harmful trends in our culture. What are your top two or three that alarm you the most and why? Um, golly. Like some of them are like this string where when you have one, it necessarily the next one falls. It's like a, yeah. it's like a, which domino in this line of dominoes is the most dangerous? Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. well, obviously it's the first one, but sometimes the last one is the worst. So I'll just say um, the outcropping of what we've seen from postmodernism is going to be uh, emotionalism. Okay. And that's this idea that, uh, you again, you need to follow your heart. You need to live your authentic self, that your emotions are good bases for making decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I say over and over again in that chapter, unless they are disciplined by scripture, reason, and reality, that is not a good leader to follow. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, about that emotion thing is I feel like there's become this uh, like this duality of thought between your emotions and your head and like your body. Right. So it's like mm-hmm. my 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 biological everything may say something, um, but my mind is saying something else and because I'm feeling it and because it's my own mind, that's always going to win. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think that that leads us down that, that road of, um, you know, this, this duality and, and when emotions are in charge, the more harmful things that can come from that. Yep. Yep. And that would follow the lines of uh, scripture, reason and reality. If reality is going against your emotions saying like, you know, I really think I'm a boy, even though I was born a girl. Well, my emotions are telling me something that's opposite from reality. And so at that point, maybe I shouldn't listen to it because we also have kids that are being told they're telling, you know, their teachers and their teachers are going along with it. They're, they're a cat or they're, they're a dog. And so they're going to answer like a cat or a dog in school. This is actually going on. Um, I was even watching uh, this show that I, I love competition shows for, for artistic stuff. So there's one called glow up where it's makeup artist and there it's this girl who's always kind of dressing like a pixie or she has like horns or she has like little elven ears. And she kind of talks about how she loves to become less and less human. Mm. We, and I'm thinking, yeah, mm. that's, because like, we're, that's exactly what, <laughs> sorry, keep going. No, I was going to say, cause we're in this dehumanizing thing. Like we are uh-huh. dehumanizing our body and we're, I, I don't even know how to say more than that. And I just, wh- what would you say about that? This dehumanizing thing that our bodies don't have, I guess it would be value, um, maybe? Like, would that we be? Can do whatever we want. Yeah. What would you say to that whole thought process and thinking? So this is uh, in book two, the uh, Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality. I have a ch- uh, chapter, or it's actually more of an afterword at the very end of uh, things to say to your kids until they want to gag. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's just little snippets of uh, of a worldview, and one, I think one of the first one of the first ones is what you do with your body matters. Mm. I it's want, like yeah. we 
kids don't think it matters anymore. In fact, the girl was just talking about how limiting it was to be human and how she loves experimenting with all these other things. And when you think about it, who did, who did God make in his image? He made humans in his image. And if we have Satan, the enemy that hates God, he's then he's going to hate the image of God. And the more he can convince those that are image bearers to not bear that image anymore, that that's exactly what's happening right now is, uh, is if he can't affect the, the God himself, he'll affect God's image bearers. And so personally, I think that's one of the big underlying things that's going on with uh, we'll say the transgender movement. Exactly, because the devil attacks everything that's going to reflect God. That's right. why he attacks mm-hmm. marriages. That's why he attacks fathers and their relationship with their children. That's why he mm-hmm. attacks sex, because of what sex and marriage point to, like a creator, and what they point to, like for the bride of Christ. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yep, amen. So, what? so I guess that would that would be my first one. The second, no, I, I'm going to put the kind of second two together. Um, well, actually, no, you, you said two or three, so I'm going to give you two or three. Okay. <laughs> um, so the first one was emotionalism, which of course came from postmodernism. Um, the uh, the second one I think is going to be Marxism, just because uh, it really undergirds everything that's going on in our society right now, and it's it's always kind of morphs into whatever it needs to be in a society. So it used to be against the, the financial haves and have nots, but now it's instead of um, the main currency being money or owning the businesses, the main currency is who has power. And so this is where we get, well, this is the oppressed group. This is the oppressor group. And it doesn't matter what you've actually done. It's dividing everybody up into groups. And when you divide a whole nation into groups, they are really easy to, manipulate shall we say um and so it's like it was one of those things i didn't want to write this chapter in fact we had another chapter planned and when i realized especially after doing the feminism chapter how much this was affecting everything i'd always heard you know people talk about it and all found a kind of conspiracy theory but i needed to understand it so i ended up writing the chapter and learned a lot Mm. from that um that i think it's really worth looking into it is a completely different worldview and it comes with the idea that there is original sin that you cannot get rid of. There is no amount of restitution besides just completely destroying yourself if you happen to fall in the oppressor category. Um, Hopeless. So I would say Marxism and then the finally progressive Christianity. This one, I believe, is mm. so dangerous because it's making people think that they're Christians when they are denying all the major tenets of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, and it's very, very, um, it's, it's taking all the, you know, I like to call all the icky parts away and it sticks with all the things that basically secular humanism teaches. Actually, if, if you read the satanic Bible, it teaches a lot of this stuff that the satanic Bible teaches, but, uh, you know, in terms of social justice and being kind to people and all, all these other things that people don't realize is in the satanic Bible, um, which is basically the, the, uh, where you say the handbook for secular um, humanism, um, just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on it, and people think that uh, that they are Christians. And so, I mean, so yeah. Anyway, those would be my three: the emotionalism, the Marxism, and the progressive Christianity. Yeah, you see that Christianity being conformed by the culture rather than Christianity, con- you know, working to conform the culture to it, and that's uh-huh. that's tragic. That's tragic. And yes. I'm so grateful that you think of these things so deeply and are able to express them so well. I really appreciate 
yeah. her voice in the Christian community. And for saying something, too, about the Satanist Bible, because I actually heard this the other day from somebody who claimed that says that they're Satanist, is that, and think how twisted this is. He said that Satan represents freedom. And it is yep. this, like, it's this freedom to do whatever you want. It's this freedom to live your authentic self. He said that word for word. So I'm like, how sneaky is that? And then making Satan, who's like God's enemy, as, I mean, it says that he'll masquerade as an angel of light. So I guess it's not surprising. Um, But I want to go back to the Marxist thing quick because I hear that a lot. And I did not do very well in history class or school, period. Um, yeah. How can you, and I, and I also hear this a lot from people around my age and younger Gen Z, um, like mm-hmm. with these Marxist ideas, they like the word, it's super trendy. Can you give us like really practical ways that you see that happening, especially in Gen Z um, today? Yes. Um, it's the erasure of probably three things. The erasure of history, the erasure of identity, and the re- erasure of family, which is part of identity. Um, there, there's an amazing book I would encourage anybody um, to read who would like to see how do we really protect against this. It's by Rod Dreher, and it's called Live Not By Lies. And what he has done is he has done in-depth study with people from Czech Republic and Poland and some of the Soviet areas and just kind of the Eastern European bloc who have lived under totalitarian regimes and looked at what were the precursors precursors that um, preceded that totalitarianism control and then comparing it to what's happening in the United States right now because we have people who lived through uh, that totalitarian regime over in the Czech Czech Republic Mm -hmm. and, and Poland and stuff that are terrified about what they see going on in, in America. And the reason, and they're saying kids don't know history. And so when you don't know where these ideas lead, it sounds like this great utopia, but that utopia has never not ended with the murder of millions of people like ever. That's what it's always basically come down to. Um, so not knowing history and having history rewritten is one of the biggest things that's going on right now. And we're seeing this happen in the schools as we speak. Um, Erasing the identity. Once you erase someone's individual identity, they're a lot easier to manipulate. Um, All you have to do is start manipulating groups and thinking that they're protecting one group or another and people will follow along like lemmings. Uh, And then the original place, there's a reason why everywhere Marxism and uh, and just kind of... uh, Socialist control has very much, I don't want to use those interchangeably. I'm going to specifically say Marxism just because that's kind of the, the foundation. And um, Marxism is like the ideology. Communism would be um, the actual practice. And socialism is kind of like this middle ground. Um, but the end goal of Marxism is communism. Basically, where everything is state-controlled, you learn by the state. It's a nanny state. State's the one that's taking care of you. State's the one that's making all the decisions. Uh, so even the stuff that we see with, um, uh, like, the parental rights bill, a.k.a. the Don't Say Gay bill down in Florida, this is putting the rights back into the hands of parents. Uh-huh. Say, um, say more to that, please. Yes, yes. That is a topic <laughs> we both are very interested please, in. Please, talk to us about I, parental rights. I, I feel like parents uh, don't feel they have any power anymore. The state has yeah. just taken over, and they're just 
they're pushing us around. And I mean, to think that, you know, a young girl can go get an abortion, but yet she can't do so many other things until she's 18, right? Can't have liquor until she's 21. But you can go and get, get a tattoo. You can go and you can have an abortion. And these are medical procedures that put health at yeah. risk. And there's no guardian there. Mm-hmm. Where's the parental Yeah, so rights? first off, yep. I personally am an advocate, even though I'm the one who brought up the idea of parental rights, I'm an advocate for um, not using the word rights, mainly because there's a book by a girl named Katie Foss uh, that's um, called Them Before Us, Why We Need a Children's Rights Movement, where in, in, in terms of someone, if someone is the parent, they kind of do have the right to their own children. But what we've kind of started seeing is people thinking that adults have rights to children, in which case, ah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so a right is something that uh, cannot be taken away and everybody has it. Everybody has to have equal ones of those. So I, mm-hmm. I like to talk about the idea of uh, authority, which authority is just an anathema concept within the socialism and the Marxism, because we want to make everybody equal. It's like, I don't know how they think everybody's going to be equal when you always have this intelligentsia that's like commanding everything. Mm-hmm. But um, they it's want everybody like to be equal. Humanity. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that, um, uh, let me see what my notes were. Um, you said the word, you used a different word, authority. Authority rather than rights. Yeah. 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 I think parental authority. And so the concept of authority is who's the one that grants authority. And God is the one that granted parents authority mm-hmm. over their children. And so it, I think the word authority has gotten so much baggage that it's like the idea of there being good authority. It's like authority is almost always used in a negative sense of someone who abuses authority. And that's something I think we would need to reclaim. And I go kind of in depth in this, in the, um, the sexuality book in chapter three, where I kind of say a lot of the sexuality stuff is, does count come down to the concept of authority. Um, so I believe that parents have the rightful authority over their children. Um, and, that is given to them by God. That is why family is the first institution God ever created prior to church, prior to government. And as we know, prior to any kind of schools or educational system, family was created by God with an authority structure in it. And so when people are trying to say, no, we're going to be taking the authority, I think parents very much need to stand up and fight and say, no, you're not the one that's home when they have the sniffles. You're not the one who held their hair back when they're throwing up or you know, cleaned up the the puke that was all over the floor and the new carpet. It's like, you're not the one who knows the times that they lied and what it looks like when they lie and what it looks like when they repent. You are not the one that knows all these things. It's uh, it's the school thinks that um, they can know these children better. In fact, because of their inherent worldview, they actually think that the parental worldview, if it is a Christian worldview, is actually harmful. So in their minds, they are actually removing children from abusive situations. Now, this is another thing with authority is someone has a right to something, you can't take that away. But if someone has an authority, you can disqualify yourself from authority. And that I think is a healthy thing that if we have parents that are not feeding, that are neglecting, that are hitting, that are abusing, that are doing whatever to their kids, they can lose that authority. um, And rightfully so. But uh, when it comes to being the one to teach your children values, to teaching your kids your worldview, that is absolutely in the hands of the parents. And I am just boggled at how many parents are willing to just 
removed that and they, they have this, what's called, I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase tabula rasa. Tabula rasa means blank slate. They think that kids are born as this blank slate. Children are basically good and it's society that messes them up. And that's why we need to be as hands off as possible. That is completely opposite. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, have you had a two year old? Like, seriously, do any of y'all have kids? Um, when I, when I hear that, I'm just like, who in the world thinks, yes, this child is innately good. Um, meanwhile, the two-year-old so, is, is scratching their sibling, you know? Yeah. Right. And exactly. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. No one taught them how yeah. to do that. Nope. No one did. Or and, uh, lie. so the Christian world, or how to lie, of course, no one had to teach them that. So the Christian worldview says, no, people are inherently evil and they have to be taught. Um, how to be good. And in fact, if you look at, you know, people, if you look at the different, um, I think it was uh, the murder rates in different areas, the more civilized areas usually have lower murder rates. Uh, so this, this idea that society is this big corrupting influence, well, there's a lot of ways where society is actually very much a civilizing influence. Um, so anyways, that, we're kind of getting off topic there, but I, I'm just shocked at the number of parents that are willing to hand their rights away And honestly, I think it's because they're so busy. Um, I think the Lord gave us a beautiful, beautiful warning during COVID. And everybody was complaining about having to stay home all the time. But I'm hoping some people use that opportunity to think, why in the world have we been doing so much? Oh, Mm. you know, uh, I know so many parents that woke up during COVID to to really realize Uh how they were being taught or what they were not being taught or... They yes. were, the education was became highlighted, and this was really good for parents to be forced to see what's mm-hmm. really going on. And a lot of people did a lot of switching of schools mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, meeting with counselors and teachers and, and really letting their voice be heard because of that. So God really mm-hmm. used that, I think, for good. Yeah. Uh, Hillary, yes. what would you, how could you encourage parents? You know, we, it's, it's a big task. <laughs> How would you, just as we wrap up here, how would you like to encourage parents today as they cope with all that we've talked about? Yeah, and how to train their kids. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes parents think it means doing more, and sometimes I think it means doing less. And even though I don't have children myself, so I can't say, oh, you know, well, I, this is what I've sacrificed, this is what I've sacrificed. I've sacrificed a lot for my health and for my ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, to where there's a lot of things I've had to give up, ways that we've had to simplify our life, um, uh, things that I have to turn down because I am being intentional with that which God has given me to steward, which is the ministry itself and my body. Those are two of the things that God has given me to steward, and I am trying to steward it well. When we let society tell us all the things that we have to do, like I'm hearing about parents that are going to sporting events that are sun up to sundown, both Saturday and Sunday. I'm just saying, I just want to look at them and say, stop it. Mm-hmm. Just stop it. Yeah. Like if, if we cannot be putting um, all these other things that the world says are important above discipling our children. Mm. And so it doesn't mean you have to do more on top of everything. Sometimes it means you just need to take off some of the things that you're already doing. Maybe, you get one sport. You don't get to play four sports. You get to play one sport. Um, these are the days that are sacred to us. This is our family time that we don't mess with. Um, they may be mad at the moment, but those times as a family over the dinner table, 
with no phones, no tablets, just talking together. Mm. That good. is where the discipleship happens. Yeah, you have um, to be intentional and you have to be aware. Why don't you repeat mm-hmm. the roar again? I think that those those that word is very helpful. Yes. So ROAR stands for recognize the message of kind of whatever the media or the slogan it is that you're looking at. Offer discernment. We're not going around being finger pointers and saying everything that's wrong with stuff. What we're doing is we're separating the good from the bad, accepting the good and rejecting the bad, knowing that they usually come together as a package deal. So we don't reject anything. We don't say, oh, that's all safe or that's all dangerous. We discern, meaning we're dividing rightly according to the word of God. And we're building bridges first by identifying what's good with it. So recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach. It's this point that we take all the things that we just found that were good, like living your authentic self. Okay, now let's talk about how does God want us to live our authentic selves? It's, it's well, he wants us to live our authentic self in the sense of if he is giving you passions and interests uh, that he wants to use for the kingdom, absolutely. Even if they're not like the coolest, you know, passion. I know a guy who got his PhD and all he studies is earthworms, like, God bless people like that. We need people like that. Um, I don't find him particularly interesting to listen to, but you know what? He needed to be that authentic self because that's what God called him to do. That's the redeeming uh, version of living your authentic self. And we're going through scripture that God has placed these burning passions in us um, for his glory uh, to, to steward the world, to cultivate the world as part of subduing the world. Uh, subduing nature is learning about it, learning how to take care of it. And that could be something as silly as earthworms or, you know, praying mantises like my little friend. So recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach. What are the good things we identify and what did God say about them? How does God already address them? And then reinforce. What I really really appreciate about that, I'm sorry to interrupt, but is that you're you're taking a positive side. You're not saying this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. You're you're giving it right thinking. You're considering it. You're you're mm-hmm. thinking about it deeply. You're giving them reasons why it's not right and why at some point it can be right and and how to take it from the worldview of God yeah. rather than the mm-hmm. worldview. So I I really yep. really appreciate that because if we're all negative and just no 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 and never give them a why, and then you mm-hmm. can, I think you can overdo the why too. I've heard parents yeah you know. Why do I have to sit down? And then, then they go into this long thing. Uh, honey, sit down because I said so. I mean, yeah, yeah. maybe I'm the generation. There are here. times because I <laughs> yeah, said so yeah. is necessary. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I love the two that you live in. You live in reality that there are tensions in the world, right? I mean, we see tensions throughout scripture. Um, you know, suffering and joy is the first one that comes to mind for me. And so you're living mm-hmm. in that reality as you're teaching your kids, which is biblical too. Like rarely ever mm-hmm. are you going to have an experience or an emotion that is purely one thing. Like I can think mm-hmm. back to times in my life where I'm like, there was immense joy, but there was also pain. And so I yeah. love that you live that you're teaching people to teaching parents to live in the reality of that. So yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. We, we want to be honoring of your time. You are awesome. Can I just say, um, like <laughs> this was super helpful, seriously. So thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I'm going to ha- I'm going to have to figure out a way to get you on here again, because I have so many more questions that we just don't have time for. Um, but I want to say that mama bear apologetics will be hosting the workshop 
for parents. It's called Biblical Parenting in a Sexualized World on October 15th from 1 to 5 p.m. at Grace Church's Chapel, which is on the Eden Prairie campus. Um, and then I think you're, you're going to be here, right, Hillary? You and your, is it, is it you, is it you or you and your team or? Um, my husband travels everywhere with me because okay. of health issues. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you guys for being here and for doing that despite all the things you have going on. Um, seriously, like we are so blessed by you. Um, just some of the things that you're going to be talking about um, are why are people so confused about sex and gender and what can we do to help our kids navigate these ideologies and culture? Um, how mm-hmm. has the sex talk changed? And there's more. Um questions that were on there um and just to let you guys know registration is open it's 15 dollars per person which includes a book or 20 dollars for a couple with one free book i am registered um we'll see if i make it but um i'm registered i want to go <laughs> you could be the best dressed person there i think you said you're coming from a wedding uh, yeah i have a form, wedding so formal like, attire. <laughs> yeah and i'll probably have my four and a half year old but seriously thank you so much like I, this, mm, I need to Google like 20 things when I get home. So thank you. Um, is it okay if Bev just prays over you? Please, please. That is so important for me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good discussion that you have um, brought to us today through Hillary. I thank you, Father, for giving her the kind of mind that thinks so clearly on issues that can be so muddy. I thank you, Lord, that she expresses it so well and is, has such a heart to teach moms and to teach parents and to, to help them to discern truth from lies and the gray from what is good in the gray and what is not good in the gray. Lord, I pray that you would continue to empower her ministry, that you would continue to heal her body and give her strength as she travels and speaks, Lord. We pray for this upcoming conference. May it just be a room full of eager parents, eager to learn, eager to hear, and especially addressing this important topic that almost every parent I know has these questions. So, Lord, use it powerfully. Use this podcast and for your kingdom and for the edification of your people and for the safety, protection, and development of young Christian minds, Lord. We give it all to you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for being on the show, Hillary, and thanks for listening, sisters. Don't forget to join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.